You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 74 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here as always with my co-host, co-founder, co-patriot, co-laborer, Lee Fields. How you doing, buddy? Where is Jay Desai? He's in Hawaii. He's been there for like a month. Well, the man likes his vacations. What can I say? But he's been on vacation for like a gazillion months. Well, when you roll as hard as he does, you got to work hard, play hard. So he's he's just in the middle of the play hard part. But he needs to get back soon because, you know, we were trying to put this episode together and it's just not the same without him. So Jay, no, get your butt back to Atlanta so we can get some more. This is actually time. the third time we've tried recording this because they were just so bad. We're just we just keep hitting delete. Yeah, it's just you know, there's only so many times you can do undo. So how many times can you do undo in Pro Tools these days? Well, I think it's probably more than it used to be, considering the new Pro Tools update. Yes, we should talk about this. Yeah. So Pro Tools out of the box has doubled the channel count and you know instead of just getting 32 channels you know with the default version you now get 64 which is awesome uh support for m1 processors in your mac which is awesome and a bunch of other things so i actually think churches that are thinking about using pro tools for broadcast mixing are now able to do so more easily there i said it jeff Check out the change of tune from Lee Fields. Now, I still think you need a backup uh, feed into those encoders. Yeah, still comes with a bunch of caveats. A We're bunch. not saying, yeah. But now cost is not as big a factor anymore because you don't need an HD system to get the input count up high enough. For most churches, yeah. Yeah, for most churches. So that's that. So speaking of most churches... We haven't talked about this, but I wanted to talk about this with you. Uh oh. So I love when you bring stuff up that's just we haven't planned. It's un un unfiltered. So last night was the rehearsal for this weekend at my church. Yeah. And so I was there shadowing audio for the first time. So I got to see my church's rehearsal process. For the first time. Okay. So someone else was mixing. Someone else was mixing. And so I was I was really trying to kind of honor their process and that person. So I told Liz when I left the house, I was like, I really just want to treat this like a fly on the wall. Like I, I need to learn how they do things and you know, not just the patching and the setup and all that, but just the process and you know one of the things that the worship leader asked me about, he said, you know, as you come in, just help us see if there are any blind spots or see if there's any, anything that we're not aware of because we've been doing it for so long. So I really tried to treat it like, okay, I'm just coming in to watch. Yeah. And it was interesting because, um, when I walked in, so the first, the first thing, this guy who's mixing, he's, he's a volunteer, you know, he owns, a owns a software company. He's, just a business guy in so, Greenville. And, so he doesn't know who you are. Well, the first thing he said when I walked in, he said, you know, anytime there's a new volunteer, I try to look them up and see if I can find anything out about them. <laughs> he said, needless to say, I'm rather intimidated right now. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Because when you said you want to be a fly on the wall, all I thought about was, me sitting here and a fly landing on the wall and then me crapping my pants. I'm so nervous about <laughs> said fly on the wall. So, so I tried to, you know, I really tried to kind of not make a big deal about it. And so, um, I said, you know, I'm really just here to, to watch and learn and I want to be a part of the process. And he was great. Like he, he literally, he started walking me through their, their show file and the way they, power everything on and their setup procedure and all the stuff. And they've got a, you know, it's an M32 yeah. that. Hey, I, there's a video on YouTube of me mixing on one. If you want to check it oh, out. I, I, I have watched it many times okay. just so I could be aware of what I'm getting myself into. No, but they have, you know, a lot of the things that we would recommend are 
in place as part of the process. So they have a kind of a master do not touch file template that is the sort of, if you ever have to get back to basics, this is the file. And then they have a, you know, this week sort of save as, and then save over it as you go. And, you know, he, he did a great job. I mean, I think there were a couple things that were, that were really good for me to see because I lose perspective sometimes on what a total volunteer led ministry is about. And so he had some really good best practices in place, like, um, you know, confirming gain structure. So he said, hey, our our goal is that every input is going to hit minus 18. And so he had all of his faders, just, you know, the, the front of house faders. Yeah. He had every fader at minus 20, just so that he could make sure it was passing signal to the PA. Yep. But he wasn't worried about setting fader levels. He was only worried about gain. So he went through and just double-checked the gain on everything because they had a bass player who was there for the first time. They had a keyboard player who hadn't been there in a while. Those kind of things. Yeah. So he confirmed their gain settings, had the drummer tap through you know, each, each drum and make sure the mics were hitting right and then play a groove and all that. So he confirmed the gain and then you know, confirmed that their ears were all okay because they're mixing from their phones. You know, and he's yep. got the iPad at front of house, and so he can basically make changes where needed. But they've all been there a bunch, so they had their mix preferences all set, and so they started playing. And it was, it was just such a good reminder because it wasn't about the mix; it was about making sure everything was in the right place first. And then when they started playing, is when he started playing with faders. And so, you know, he's, you know, he'd bring up bass and drums and then he brought up keys and brought you know and it was like man this is a really this is a really good sounding starting point and it was just it was just nice for me to see you know that he had and that they've instituted a really systematic approach yeah to what they're doing and from a I was trying to see things through his eyes as a volunteer because he's thinking I'm not worried about every EQ nuance right now I'm worried about is my input hitting the right place and can I make a pleasing result from faders. Yeah. And I thought, man, that's that's a really good reminder. And then he would go in and make some EQ changes. Like I said, you know, the female vocal, you know, it's a little bright in the upper mid-range when she sings high, so let's try to maybe tame some of that through an EQ cut and then maybe, you know, increase the compression a little bit and he was he was tracking, so it was like I wasn't telling him anything that was, you know, a foreign language. But as a volunteer, he's tasked with take this system and optimize the people's experience as best you can. Yeah. So it wasn't take this system and create an album quality mix, but it was okay, let's make this starting point yeah. the best it can be with the people who are on stage. And it was. You know, it was a good reminder because I've complained a lot about the results in the past, um, either on the way home from church yeah. or, you know, we'll be talking about it. It's like, well, this and this and this wasn't right, but this was okay and blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, it was just a healthy sort of check for me to go, you know what? Nobody's going home humming the snare drum. Right. It's It's about... Are we distract? Are we engaging? Or are we distracting? Yep. And at at this sort of entry level volunteer point, if you get that right and you get transitions right, and the talk is engaging and there's no blown transitions or whatever, yeah, it's great. So it really is. And what does he do for a living? What's his day job? He owns a software company. Okay. So is your whole, the whole time you're telling me this like? He, the thing he was most concerned about, which honestly is most important, he was following directions, right? It was, well, here's what I do. And it's, I think, you know, we talk a lot about technical minded engineers and more creative, more musician, but when you can marry those two together and get any, any kind of overlap is where the magic happens, right? Yeah. Because musicians more creative and more just, now it just feels right. You can overlook having proper gain structure, having right. the file set up correctly and, and setting yourself up. But when you've got all the tools in place and everything's correct, and then 
can use the other part of your brain to go now let me work some magic with with my paintbrush that is where magic happens yeah well and i would say he is one who definitely sides on the overly technical side yep. you know because he is an engineer he comes from yep. a development background and so he's very linear in his thinking and so he's looking at faders he's looking at exact numbers he's looking at yep. you know all the ones and zeros he he's it's funny though because his wife was on stage playing keys. Okay. So I asked him about that and I said, "So how do you how do you develop a language for the musical side?" And he goes, "Well, I just asked my wife what this means because she'll tell me in musical terms." And I was like, "It's great. There you go. It's that's the way to do it. It's like he's got a he's got a built-in translator at his house <laughs> so yeah. he can say, "Hey, when Brian said this about the transition to these two songs, what did he mean by that?" And she can explain the musical thing so that when and he's He's got his planning center run sheet printed out, and he's taking notes the whole time. Yep. You know, he's like, so-and-so's leading song one, so-and-so's leading song two. This is you know, how the transition's going to happen. Even from the, you know, she's leading in the verse, and then when they flip up for the chorus, and he takes the melody. So he's got notes on all that, and he, you know, but he's to the point where he's like, okay, I want to write down like where my fader position is so that I can remember it. You know, uh, and so he's he's totally like it's a little paint by number, yep. but he's paying attention to it, and that's the point. Is right. he has, you know, realized that certain things are a priority, and so he can know in his head, hey, when she sings loud, if my fader is above minus three, it's going to be too loud. So I'm going to shoot for minus three for the fader position. Yeah, you know, so it's it's not a feel thing necessarily. Yep. But he's paying attention to the right things and making it, you know, even if he has to be analytical about it, at least it's his, you know, whatever makes sense for him. So it's good. That's interesting. So what's the rest of the gear set up there like? So M32. M32. Uh, the PA is an older uh, L Acoustics Kiva rig. Oh, that's great, um, though. Yeah, it's, it sounds really good. Um, the room is relatively dead in terms of acoustic treatment. Um, it's about a 750 seat room, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a nice size room. Isn't it interesting that the it's like that's a Ferrari of a PA with an M32 console. It is. That's interesting. And I think the reason, honestly, I think the reason for that is because at the time, the M32 was probably the most volunteer friendly, most affordable option in yeah. terms of just entry-level understanding because everything is volunteer driven basically the worship leader is the staff person okay and then all the band on stage all the audio folks graphics video everything is volunteer yeah and so they wanted to have a simple affordable yep. way to execute this and i think at the time you know this is probably pre d live it was pre any of those other good options and so at the time, and you know, being around the church more and more, I understand. You know, the vision for the church is discipleship, groups, yeah, great teaching, yeah, and they want they want to make disciples who serve the community and serve each other. So worship is a part of that, but it is not about the show, yeah. and it never will be, yeah. And so for them, you know, the console is truly a tool, and I think. Is that console limiting the band right now as far as I.O.? I don't... Not yet. Yeah. So then why get another one? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't need more than 32 inputs total. So it's it's fine for now. Um, Isn't that interesting? Like, because consoles are... They're so much better than they used to be. We've said this before, but the limitation for them will not be the sonic ceiling of that console. It'll be I.O. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I, I don't think they're at the ceiling yet sonically of what they can do. Yeah. Um, so I you know I hope I hope that I can help move the needle on that too. I mean I hope that as I'm a part of the team, we can talk about how to get from this paint by number sort of setup into a more creative and musical. You know even if some of those channel presets need to change a little bit. Right. You know they're open to that, which is great, and. I just found out last night that their whole 
AV team is coming to MXU Live in Atlanta. Hey. So there you go. Well, that's good because I checked yesterday and there's like, I want to say 25 tickets for Atlanta left. I know. So we need to talk about that for a minute. Yeah, Denver's got a dozen left. Yeah, at the most. Um, And Charlotte sold out. Charlotte sold out. Dallas day one has sold out. So if you basically if you want to come to Dallas, all you can do is day two, which is kind of weird. Um, I wonder. If we I don't should, know how we do that. We may want to. We had a venue change. We may should relook at the capacity for Dallas. Yeah. Ooh. Folks, go get your freaking tickets. What are you waiting on? <laughs> My lord. Yeah, we still have plenty of. Plenty of tickets available for L.A. Yeah. and Chicago. Yeah, L.A., the two-day event. If you're looking at a two-day event, come check us out in L.A. Um, you know what this whole thing reminds me of, what you're talking about, like the technical and the paint-by-numbers? What's that? Is the dining experience we had in Vegas. Oh, my goodness. All right, so and we definitely I, need to talk about this for is, a few minutes. It was really, it's the wine experience that we had, and our tour guide. And it was making me think because they had two sommeliers. One was very technical and one was very musician. But I think the reason he was able to be so musician is because his technical expertise was completely second nature. It's like, right. It's like when you, when you see a guitar player, where there's no impediment between what's in his brain and what comes out his fingers, you know, a Joe Bonamassa, a Lincoln Brewster, uh, you know, yeah. you go down the list of, of those kind of players. Like there's nothing technical that's limiting his creative expression. Yeah. And I think this is where, where this guy was as a sommelier. He was so knowledgeable that he didn't have to think about, where this wine came from and how this soil would interact with the grape to affect the taste of this oyster. That was just part of the equation. <laughs> tell tell everybody what happened. Okay. So I don't want anybody to, to hear this story and think, boy, these guys just had a weekend of debauchery. So we were in Las Vegas um, having a boys weekend celebrating a couple of milestones for MXU and doing some creative planning for the tour and for upcoming things for MXU. And so we decided that we were going to celebrate one night by going to a special dinner. So we ended up at a place called Bazaar Meat, which is B-A-Z-A-A-R. So Bazaar, not Bizarre, but Bazaar. Um, and the chef there is a pretty famous guy, uh, Jose Andres. Uh, you may have seen him from a bunch of stuff on Food Network and yeah. TV and whatever. Um, anyway, it's all about Small plates, tapas, and meat. And so we walked in and we thought, okay, what's the best way to approach this? Because they have the chef's tasting menu and then you can just order off the menu. But there's so many little plates. It was like, how do you even choose? So the waiter comes up and we said, you know what? We're celebrating. Let's, let's explore the chef's tasting menu, which is basically, for those of you guys who haven't done this before, Basically, it's a little bit of everything that the chef just kind of prepares tiny portions for everybody at the table. So there were four of us. And so every course that came through, there were just four kind of small bites. And then for the steak part, there was a bigger portion where we could actually, you know, you feel like you're eating, yeah, you know, a big, bigger part of a steak. So the waiter's there and Lee, in his brilliant way, says, so um, talk to me about the wine list. So this sommelier comes over and he says, okay, so I'm, I'm the wine guy here. So what are we thinking? And so Lee said, well, we're going to do the tasting menu. So do you have a wine pairings option with the tasting menu? So you could see this guy start to light up a little bit. He was like, okay, he's asking the right question. Let's yeah. see where we can go with this. So where we ended up was that for every course, we would try – a specific wine for what that course was supposed to be about. So don't hear me say we drank eight bottles of wine. It was just, <laughs> no. we had a little bit of wine with each bite. They of, pour you a couple ounces per yeah. dish. And so this guy was, he, uh, you know, we've all been around somebody who we would say in the audio world is the best in the world at what they do. 
This guy was the equivalent of that with wine. And I was blown away. Yeah. He, you know, they ask like, well, what are you guys into? So that he can kind of prepare what he's going to do. And we all like really unique experiences. You know, we're all artists. And anytime you can be exposed to another artist, it's it can be a remarkable experience if you let them do what they want. So totally. we we told him like, hey, we like some pretty obscure things. You know, a couple of us at the table live near Napa, so you don't have to stick to the general, you know, California wine. And I said, like a Lebanese white wine would be awesome. And he goes, You mean Chateau Muzar? And I went, <laughs> yes, exactly, Chateau Muzart, which is this really funky, crazy-tasting grape that only is produced at this one vineyard in Lebanon. But the fact that you knew that yeah. was a key to him to go, okay, these guys are yeah. going to have some fun. So when he said that, then I went, okay, you now have the keys. You do whatever yeah. you want. Because you, when you make a connection like that with somebody – and they're one of the best in the world at what they do, why on earth would you tell them, here's what I want, right? Right, right. So tell them about the the oyster. Okay, so the first course comes out, and you know it's a couple of different things, but he said, we want to start with bubbles. You know, you guys are celebrating, and so let's start with uh, champagne. So he brings out this bottle of champagne. So he gives us a little bit of the history, you know, for those of you who don't know, in order to be called Champagne, the grapes have to be grown in the Champagne region of France. Kind of like, you know, bourbon technically has to be manufactured in Bourbon County, Kentucky, in order to be true bourbon. So it's a similar thing with Champagne. So he gives us a little taste, and so he says, taste it without the food, and he wants to tell us about the the area where it's grown. So it's uh, particularly chalky soil, and the grapes are grown on metal trellises and so there's a little bit of a metallic you know kind of brightness to the taste and you know he goes on and on so it's like okay you can taste it now so we taste it and sure enough i mean if you have any sort of palate at all if unless you're like no taste and smell from covid you can taste yeah. what he's talking about yeah so it's it's very cool like he's just like opening up your mind to what you're tasting he said so it's a smoked oyster it's a little uh got a little other accompaniment to it but it's just a one bite thing so take a bite of the oyster and notice the salinity the salt level of the ocean water and all the stuff that you'll taste from the oyster and then taste the wine again after that and see how that salinity makes its way into the wine and makes the wine taste totally different than it did a minute ago so we're like okay whatever sommelier blah 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 yeah so this was my first cue that we were into a night that we would never forget because I ate the oyster. It was delicious. I mean, some of the some of the best bites of food I've ever had. So eat the oyster. It's delicious. Taste the wine. And it was like my mouth exploded in a different way than what I had tasted literally two minutes before with this depth of saltiness and ocean and the sweetness of the grape and the metallic of the trellises all the stuff that he had talked about but it was like it just came alive in a completely different way i thought man this guy is awesome yeah so i think two or maybe three courses go by and we have the exact same experience every single time right yeah and he comes back around and i looked at him and said um can i ask you a question and you not worry about sounding arrogant with your reply. And he said, sure. And I just kind of smirked and I said, you're really good at your job, aren't you? And he stepped over my last two words and got dead serious and looked at us and said, I'm one of the best Psalms in the world and I know it. <laughs> and we all just like died laughing, high-fived him. And that's, it's like we all knew at that moment what we're doing that night with someone like him, hardly anyone gets to do anywhere on the planet. Yeah. Because he's one of the yeah. best in the world at what he does. Yeah. So all that to say, that was a sales pitch for why you need to come to MXU Live and hear Chris Raybold, who is one of the best front of house engineers in the world, mix and do what he does. Because we get to the end of that dinner and 
yes, it's a it's a significant investment to do something like that. But when you get to be in someone else's world and watch what they do, and they're one of the best in the world at it, it's a good experience whether you like fine wine and even know what you're tasting or not, just to be around someone like that. So what's interesting to me, we've we've had this experience, not the same experience, but we've had an analogous experience with food a couple of times in our relationship. And both times, I know that next time I step behind a console to mix, I'll think about things differently because of what I experienced with this food and wine thing. Yes. It's like anytime you're around somebody who is that much of a specialist and then you take it to your area of specialty, you're going to reframe your thinking in a little bit of a different way in some respect. And so uh, that, you know, that's why I love it is because it's, like you said, to be around that kind of greatness is going to inspire greatness with whatever your craft might be. Yeah. So that's why I'm so looking forward to Chris being on every stop on the tour with us. This yeah. guy's probably the most sought after front of house engineer in the world right now. And yeah. we get to learn from him uh, for 11 different days all day long. Yeah, It's, it's like, are you kidding me? I'm freaking stoked. So... Go get your tickets. And a little I'm a little scared too, but that's okay. I don't think we're allowed to serve wine at any of the venues, but but there will be communion in a musical way. And then Jay might be hosting communion afterwards. I'm not sure. Yeah, something maybe the after parties there'll be margaritas. Who knows? Something. Okay. Well, we got a great interview today. We're thrilled to be joined by Zach Kimry and Nicole Hambrick. They're gonna just Give us the lowdown on this massive event they just finished at their church. You may have seen Lee post about it from Elevation when he was there for a day. So I don't know how much we want to actually get into it. Let's just roll the interview and let them tell us what's happening. Yeah, let's let it rip, but stay till the end because we surprised Zach and Nicole with something pretty cool. All right, everyone. Welcome our friends, Zach and Nicole, fresh off a one million hour live stream. And they have not slept or ate in 35 days, folks. Give it up That's for That's what them. it feels like. That's definitely what it feels like. I mean, it's crazy. So 168 hours straight. So literally seven days, 24-7 on the air. We got to unpack some of this because people are freaking out right now going, I could never do that. And how awesome is that all at the same time? So, And then some people are just running away in fear going, if anybody on my team hears this podcast and wants to do this, I need to resign. So, got everything in between. Before we jump into all that, we'll definitely have new listeners for the first time join us here. You guys have both been on the podcast before, um, but why don't you recap what you guys do, what your role is with the Elevation and the campus you both serve at? So, my name's Nicole Hambrick. I am the online production director, one of two now. That's a recent development um, for Elevation Church. So anything you see on the weekends, streaming, or if you watched YouthX, had a big hand in that. Um, I oversee all of that and the volunteer team that helps make it happen. And I am Zach Kimmery. I am the technical director here at Ballantyne at our broadcast location. And Myself and Andy, who is on my team, we support Nicole and Jared and Jeremy, our other production directors here, in making sure that whatever they need to pull off on the weekend or during the week for whatever broadcast we might be doing, uh, we are ensuring that that is happening and in the best way possible for them and their teams. Okay, perfect. So now that we know that, there was an event last week, and you guys have been doing this event for years, right? Yeah. A couple yeah. years. But last year during COVID, it caused you guys to move this entire youth conference, quote unquote, online. So the whole thing last year was online and you streamed for how many days last summer? 72 hours. Okay. But it wasn't, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't all live all the time, right? Overnight, you would have pre recorded content or more breaks. It wasn't a continuous. Thing, it was, was it? continuous the same way this one was. So we would play okay. back the worship experiences that we did during the day 
for anyone who is watching on the other side of the world at night. So in the same way, constantly on air, constantly sending content out. Yes, it was the same, but much less. Uh, But this year you had, there were still live hosts even throughout the night. Uh, There was this year, last year there wasn't. So yes, in that sense it is, it was, we stepped up our game a little bit. Okay. So talk to us about the conversation when, um, you guys decided to go, hey, this year, let's do it a week straight instead of three days. And have hosts overnight live and <laughs> more live elements and more set changes and more, 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 more. It's like sometimes, you know, just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should. And you guys Very somehow true. got to a point that said, you know what, we can and we should do this. So talk us through those conversations. So... It definitely wasn't our idea. I will say that. <laughs> oh, I'm so I surprised. Even, I don't even remember how that first conversation went, but I was like, are, are we serious right now? Yeah. Um, I think in the beginning stages, the first conversation, it was like 168 hours. Okay. But we don't know exactly what the segments and everything are. So it wasn't all at once. It was, uh, okay, that's going to be a lot to pull off. Let's figure out what each segment is and kind of take it from there. So, yes, at the beginning it was a lot, but I don't think we quite knew what we were getting ourselves into at that point. (laughs) Um, I think it definitely evolved as we got closer and closer and started having more and more planning meetings. It's like, oh, this this is going to be a lot. Yeah. This is more than a 168-hour live stream. This is sets and gear moves and multiple hosts throwing right to the next host new hosts and yeah. how do we um how do we because last year we when we did the 72 hours we did rehearsals the week before and you can fit 72 hours worth of rehearsals when you've got overnight playback and no live hosts in a week's worth of work hour times nine to five kind of thing this year we were like even if we did that <clears throat> sorry this year we were like even if we did that it would be two weeks removed from the last time we did it. So we have to figure out how to do rehearsals and be live at the same time. So that was a big challenge. Um, I will also say this year we found out about this in January, I think. Yeah. Last year, COVID just kind of hit and we canceled our youth camp. Um, And then about a month before it was supposed to be in Tennessee and all the youth were going to go there. About a month before that was supposed to happen, we said, hey, let's do this all online instead. So the time we had to prepare was much more significant as well. Um, I still don't know if since Which January I'm, I'm was glad, enough. Though, that we had it because it took it. Yes, it did. It took every bit of that time that we had to figure everything out. And even the week before, we were still double checking to make sure we had what we needed to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. So I came out for about 24 hours to see this. Uh, Marcus and I, um, we were uh, we were sitting at the pool in Vegas. Jeff was there, Spencer, and you guys are all prepping to do this, and we were bummed because Zach couldn't join us for a for a guys' weekend in Vegas. But we thought, you know what? Let's go pop in and see what you guys are doing. And after you walked us through, and I want to talk about this in detail, what was going on in the different rooms. I told Marcus, and I was texting other people that were asking how it was going. I. Th- I was going to say, I think, I know that is the most, the biggest technical achievement I've ever seen a church do, period. Because of the logistics and the the time management and the planning and the prep. Like, it's one thing to go, we built a bunch of stages and we streamed it all. That that in and of itself is is hard to do. But Zach, when you started walking me through room to room and all the different sets and then talking about the load-in, this is the part I think people didn't realize what it took to do this. So you, I believe you said they were more or less around 18 different sets or stages for the stream. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. No. Close, Coco. Yeah, there was a couple of them that it was the same stage design, but they would swap out like the furniture and we'd change the mics and that. So we yeah. kind of counted that as two, but yeah. Okay, so because there were no rehearsals and you still had weekend services to do, so Sunday ends, 
Pastor walks off stage, service is over, stream is down. How much time from that point until the YouthX stream started? So our last broadcast ended probably around 1.30, maybe 2 by the time we get everything offline and prepped um, yep. for playbacks and stuff. And YouthX was going live at 4.50. Okay. So... Now, here's the thing, though. Now, you, you think that you just realized what that took, but here's the problem. The campus was full of people. The yep. children's rooms were occupied full of children and children's workers. Oh, yeah, because it was Valentine, our broadcast location. It was their anniversary weekend, too. So it's not like everybody was leaving quickly like they normally do. They had baptisms and food trucks and on. all of that. And none of this was prepped, not a single stage. So the service is over, and your first segment goes on the air at 4.50. You guys started building that stage from scratch at that point. And that was the most complicated one. That was the B stage that we built with Truss and Dex out in the seating, over the seat. And that's less than three hours before downbeat when yep. it all goes live. And that doesn't involve when she wanted it ready to go to air so they could start rehearsing. So if you back that time up, right. it's even less because she had it detailed down to that of, I need this stage show ready at this time, not buttoning up show ready, ready to take live. And that was, I <laughs> two, think two thirty, Yeah. Two thirty. So basically you got an hour to build this set and think of like, you know, an NBA game when you've got the commentators up on the upper deck, looking over onto the court that that was the set in the main yep. worship center. So then that starts rehearsing at 3.30, and then the crew moves to the next segment stage in another part of the building and starts building that one, knowing that there's now a countdown yep. because that stage will then go live at a specific time when the previous set is done, and now follow that whole schedule out across basically 18 different stages. Yeah, and some of it happening in the middle of the night, and some of it happening all hours of the day and night. Yeah, everybody leapfrogging each other as the week goes. So it's not like we're going to set these two things and just go back and forth all week. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is eighteen times throughout the week. This kind of change happens. Yep. And we finally got to a point Sunday night where we were able to stop, and we had the first one or maybe two sets that would go to air on Monday morning. We had them fully show ready and we were finally like, all right, let's cut it off. Let's continue set up the next day. And so we were setting up well into Monday until we were finally done with actually setting up gear. And then from there on, we, you know, we moved cameras and microphones and patches and all that stuff back and forth throughout the week. So we were dealt well within probably 12 hours of setup that, you know, we would have loved to done over, 36 hours or 48 hours, but we didn't have that space available. Yeah, that was a big difference from last year's YouthX. That was only 72 hours to this year's. At this point, last year, nobody was in our building. So we started set up a week out and faxed everything out and made sure it was right and the sets looked good. And so we had plenty of time. So I saw the audio patch sheet for hosting and IFBs. I, I put a video of it on my Insta story. And it's bigger than any patch sheet of any event I've ever done with full bands, like at a festival. You know, it was yeah. tons, tons of that. And I told Marcus, if you were planning an event like this and you're the audio director, I think it's completely reasonable to plan an entire day for line check. And you guys didn't have that. You basically had, it has to be patched where we said it was going to patch in this room. And then the router's got to be correct. And then soft patching has to be correct and then it has yep. to work and i'm i'm super grateful and really proud of of our audio team um they built all the files offline beforehand and then on friday or saturday they actually had the secondary desk that we brought in that we can go into later if you want to they had that in there and they loaded the youth x file just to double check everything to make sure that we were ready for when sunday afternoon when we went off air with church that they could load the new files up and not have to do a ton of patching it. And the guys did their prep work and there was very minimal things that had to be figured out once we got into run throughs. Okay. That's awesome. So for the people who didn't see your story, Lee, talk through, okay, how many IFBs, how many different hosts, how many mics, like what are we talking about in terms of that logistical 
just that piece. So at the end of the day, I finally, I talked to the guys and got this little tidbit of information from them. So in just hosting mics alone, there were 54 different mics. So that's 50. We never shared an input because of the run-throughs that were happening. We couldn't. Every mic had to be every mic and every IFB had to be every IFB all the time, no matter what. So whatever show was on air or in run-through, it landed where it needed to land because the one thing that got complicated was one segment might be on show A for one of its air times, and then the next time it might be on show B. So we had to have all the inputs to both desks at all times, no matter what. And so we had twenty or we had fifty-four host mics. There were a total of twenty-nine IFBs. There were ten audio channels for to handle all of the video playbacks. Four Skype audio channels. Um, the guy said that there were hundred and twenty-eight inputs from stage hitting the uh, the racks, and then um, we kind of got a rough number, but there were over a 1,000 audio routes happening across Opticore, Maddie, and analog patches. <laughs> okay. So, again, probably the I think the most impressive part about all this is to even get to the point where you knew what you need to do all that, Nicole, that's what you do. You go to the team and say, here are the sets that are going to happen. And then you say, in this room, I need four host mics and two IFBs and two yep. audio and playback lines. So you're a bit unique. You're not just a show caller. You have mad technical chops, too, to be able to go to Zach and say, hey, here's what we need. I was actually sitting in master control. Zach had dipped out for a second. You come in, um, log into the router and make a video patch and then go back in and start calling the show again. I looked at Marcus and I was like, okay, she is a complete badass. <laughs> Total unicorn. Yes. That's funny. That's amazing. So what's your background? What got you to this point to be what I, I think you're one of the best in the world at what you do. And you're, we're lucky enough to have you in the church, let alone like ESPN could have you. So like how, how did you even get to this point? Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, honestly, I grew up in church and started on the overhead slides, you know, was just interested in helping with that. Um, and then the church that I grew up in, we actually used to meet in an elementary school and then we moved and built a building. Um, and so when that happened, I just got really involved in the production. It was very nothing compared to what I'm doing now, you know, but that just kind of sparked my interest in all of it. Went to school for it, but I mean, truly, I learned 80%, maybe even more than that, uh, of what I know here at Elevation. So I came and interned and then just volunteered and got in and was just around as much as anyone would have me around. Um, and it was just a slow, like, okay, teach me pro presenter. Okay, what is this switcher thing? What is that doing? Okay, this. Okay, this. And then when I got hired... <clears throat> It was when we had decided to start putting some effort into online church in general. So it was kind of non-existent. So it was kind of on me to build it, which I think is really where a lot of that came in, you know, convincing Zach to be nice to me and teach me um, what he <laughs> knows <laughs> instead of writing me off as some little kid that's coming in kind of thing, um, which he did. So I learned a lot in that process, too. And I did what? I wrote you off or I treated you nice? A he, little bit of both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Zach's nice to like five people. And right, I'm, right. I'm glad to be on that list now. <laughs> you kind of work your way up to it. I'm still trying to get on that list, but that's okay. Um. So yeah, just learning a lot of, okay, well, is it possible? I think, honestly, I think a big part of it is, hey, is this possible? And not having like, I... I would even venture to say like my inexperience was a benefit to me of just not knowing, hey, I don't know how TV stations do this. Is there a way that we can send a feed from somewhere other than our campus? And Zach's like, yeah, we can do it this way. Like, okay, well, our standard is when hosts are here at our campus, they have a program monitor and a clock. So how do we get that? And so it's just like asking those questions and trying to figure out and um, just, I don't know, not settling for, well, now we're remote. So here's our limitation. It's like, well, no, let's keep it the same. How do we do that? So. 
That's such a great point. I think, you know, having that scalability mindset, but also being able to ask what if, you know, it's like to not be afraid of those questions because somebody with a ton of technical experience might say, oh man, that'd be too hard because it would involve this and this and this and this and this. And you're just approaching it going, hey, here's an idea. This is what I would want to do. Is this even possible? And then, okay, how do we maybe scale back or scale up to meet those requirements? And I think just having that attitude and having that just curiosity and you know, asking the right questions, all that plays into it. But man, cheers to you for just being willing to go there and for having a team that's able to support all those dreams. Cause that's really what it's about is, yeah, for sure. you know, having the dreamer and then having the, the team that can execute yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. It's definitely awesome. would not happen without the team to execute and the volunteers and everything for sure. Speaking of volunteers real quick, talk us through how many roles are run by volunteers? What's the staff to volunteer ratio or allotment? Like how many, you know, an event like this obviously doesn't happen without a bunch of pros, but then you've got an army of people who are boots on the ground pulling it off. So talk for a few minutes about your volunteers. Yeah. So um, Jeremy, actually, um, our other online producer went through and kind of ran with scheduling and figuring out like what what roles do we need for which segment? Because not every segment, you don't need a grip for every segment, but anything that's in the auditorium, you do. So going through and figuring all of that out, um, I think I was talking to him yesterday, and I think he said it's 115 people spread across 640 opportunities for serving, which is crazy. (laughs) So, I mean, you've got with schedule and graphics op, but they're going to run graphics for two or three segments within their time block. So if you actually look at, if you count the two times they ran graphics within that time block, it's 1,100 opportunities. But again, same person filling in the same role in some cases. Um, But yeah, he ran with all of that. I would say 85%. Most of our audio guys were staff or contract. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with lighting. Um, video directors, also staff or contract. And then we had, um, three, sorry, four directors that were all basically staff. Will isn't staff, but everything else, cameras, graphics, switchers, um, I don't know, production assistants, all of that, all volunteer. Okay. So let's talk technical for a second so you said earlier show a and show b and i know people are going to want to know what that means and and correct me and then go into a lot more detail on how this was all set up but you split your infrastructure up into two shows so you had anyone show a or show b could be on the air at any given time and then the other show would be in rehearsal mode at that same time so when I was looking at multiviewer, there was a whole set of inputs that were going to show A, and that could have been a Q to Q run through for a segment, and then show B could have been on the air. And then there's a video truck outside that was also handling a lot of duties. So talk us through how you guys set all that up. So that was one of the probably one of the first things that Nicole came to me with early on. She's like, last year we were able to do a run through with IFBs, and that was great. But we really need to be able to have a full run through. We need to be able to run graphics. We need to be able to cut cameras. We need to make be able to hit audio transitions. And so that was probably my first challenge this year that she came to me with, where I just had to like really stop and think about it. Um, and ultimately, we brought in another audio console so that we could have all the host mics hitting both desks, whether they were coming in via an SD rack and both, both desks were on the OptiCore loop so they could pull anything on that. We threw down another Maddie feed to the desk that we brought in so we could get anything that was coming in Maddie. And then some stuff also came in Dante, and I was converting that into Maddie and then getting it to there. And then one of the cool things, and shout out to Noise Boys, they everything was great with one desk could feed all the ISOs back to the director's ears. So an ISO is just the host mic on their listen for an IFB talk. And that was fine. Where it got complicated was one desk, everything was fed post-fade, but one desk could be on air. And 
I didn't want to have to reroute a bunch of stuff via Maddie. So ultimately, the guys linked the two show A desk and the show B desk. They linked them together with the second Maddie port on both desks. And show B's desk was a SD10, so it had a little bit more horsepower. And that actually was feeding what was feeding the comm frame with the IFB sense. And so since both desks were running in post-fade, if whatever fader was up was actually what was feeding the IFB because the guys took the alternate inputs or the merge input on the auxes feeding the IFBs so that if the fader got pushed up on the A, it went through Maddie over to the 10, went into the merge input, and then went out to the comm frame. So... Hats off to my team for figuring that out because that is one of the my most, brain hurts right now. So does mine. <laughs> one of the most complicated things, and we had very minimal issues with with IFB routing. Like occasion in 168 hours, there were a few requests of like, "Hey, something's off with the IFB. Can you check it?" And the guys would fix it immediately. So hats off to them. I know I got off on that rabbit trail, but I am super proud of my team. Well, um, let's give give credit where credits due. Who are the guys? Call them out. Uh, Jimmy Marsh and Parker Vandenberg, um, they yeah. they wrapped their heads around that and and made that made that happen. Um, Jimmy's one of the amazing. smartest guys I've ever worked with. They were the masterminds within the consoles and doing the layouts and making both layouts were identical, even though the consoles were different. Um, so That's that so was great. that was hats off to them. Um, but then the whole okay. Show, so speaking of speaking of masterminds, just for a second, so Lee texted me or called me when he was there and basically said, you're not going to believe what I'm looking at right now because he was looking at the multi-viewer with a run-through going on on the left side and a program going on on the right that's live to the air. And here's Nicole in the chair basically calling cues for both at the same time. Talk to me about how that worked. Like, how does your brain manage... Okay, we're going to do rehearsal over here and then show mode over here and keep it all straight. I mean, that's just stunning. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so we had, I had one, two, three, four, four directors that owned their segments and we had divided it up based on what it was. Um, I'm going to give them all shout outs because they all deserve it. Jeremy Herba, Nate Dietz, Will Taylor, and Jared Olson. Um and so they were running with their segment, talking to their hosts, knowing which graphics needed to be thrown. Do we want to show this video this time or next time? That kind of thing. Um, sometimes they had the same segments. So like Nate did every um, segment. We called him mic check right before the experience. So he always was the person that those hosts were talking to. There was 21 of them. So I was like, I need you to own these um, and not make it. Jeremy does it one day, Will does it one day, and it's kind of changing. On the more simple segments, we would change that up just based on making sure they got breaks during the day, that kind of thing. Um, so it's really on them to kind of own the segment and know how it would flow and everything. And I was just kind of listening to both and listening to calm and seeing if there was something that somebody was asking a question and I could tell it wasn't getting answered. Um, where I needed to step in and give a little bit more insight because I had been in meetings for months beforehand talking to the host about what do you want your segment to look like? How do you want it to flow? I had like the vision from Tim Summers, the youth pastor, that kind of thing. So I was just helping communicate that aspect more than in the weeds of the individual segments. She's downplaying herself because she was listening to about seven different comm party lines doing all yeah. that and making sure that she's listening to what's on air and what's being rehearsed. So she's downplaying how awesome it was. But that's another big part of the role, too, is, you know, you you offhandedly mentioned all those meetings. Well, basically what you're doing is you're memorizing in advance the answer to any possible question that could come up. So, yes, <laughs> I mean, don't sell yourself short. That's I'm not trying very, very to. I just want to make could. sure all these other guys, because I like youth X wouldn't have happened without them. Like there's no way that I could have called all of that. So totally. Yeah. That's but awesome. you, I, I call it catching pianos as they're falling out of windows. You caught one that I, I even heard there was some RF stuff outside in the tent and you, you chimed in and said, Hey, I don't feel like we should be changing RF channels in the middle of, of this. 
So like you're you're listening enough to know that like that could be catastrophic. I'm gonna yeah. ask why we're doing that and make right. sure that that gets sorted too. So so yeah, don't don't downplay yourself too much there. My favorite segment was trigger time. Yeah, that was a uh, that was stressfully. Um, <laughs> they put they put Zach on the air. Yes, and the very first one, you only had three segments yeah. throughout all seven days or eight, whatever, however many days it was. The very first time I walked up to the youth team's producer that was kind of floating around and I said, don't you ever put Zach Kimry on air for one of these events again because of how much I needed you to do other stuff and you're out there smoking meat. (laughs) (laughs) It was stressful because she also was like, Zach, you can't just stand there. Like you have to plan something that that has something going on during your airtime. So whatever it is, figure it out, but don't just stand there and look at the meat on the Traeger. So we did wings (laughs) so that we could sauce them. We did pulled pork so we could wrap it. And then we did ribs so that we could also put all the stuff on those and wrap those as well. But that was uh, awesome. It's very stressful in the midst of helping manage this 168 hour live stream. Oh yeah. I need to go put some barbecue on right now or start the Traeger (laughs) or I, I don't know what's more stressful juggling all of that or being told, this pulled pork needs to be at 165 degrees at this time so that you can wrap it on air. That it's like when my wife tells me I'd like dinner to be done at 5:30 and I'm smoking something. I'm like, yep, yeah. Well, that's the is- thing is like because when me and Kim and Nate and Nicole hang out and do that, we're just chilling. And whenever the food's ready, it's ready, and we'll eat. And she's like, it's got to be on air. It's got to be ready at this time. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But we made that's it happen, and did. it worked. You should talk briefly about the time when we moved you out front and you're on air and then your onset producer is like hey uh your mic's not working yeah so (laughs) we we did every system was a dual system and so we had handhelds and belt packs and uh, nicole moved us around front so for the first few days we're out back we're on wired lobs and because there was nothing else back there where for the last segment she wanted to move us around front and change up the shot well we were talking about that whole run through thing and we were on air wearing lobs and then uh, the handhelds that were also paired to that frequency got turned on in the tent. So there I stand on air with my microphone failing and I have no calm in. I I stayed calm and I just kept doing what I was doing because I knew, like I said it on air when it came off, I was never worried. I knew that they would figure out what it was because that's that's the people that were there helping us. So I just kept working on those ribs and then they were like, all right, you're alive again. <laughs> and we addressed it and we moved on. But uh yeah, that was that That's was awesome. That was weird standing there in the dark with no mic, and it's your mic, and you have no calm in your ear, knowing what's going on. Because I had to take calm out; I couldn't listen to that while I was. I hated being on air bad enough, and so I had to take away all the distractions. Literally five to ten minutes before my segment, I would take my calm off and just ignore whatever else was going on, so that I wouldn't be stressed out. But being the guy who's the one who knows how to fix stuff like that in a skinny minute. To not be able to do that, but rely on everybody else. I'm sure in your brain, you're just going through 17 different things yep. to get it figured out. Yep. But what I'm hearing over and over and over again is the amount of trust that you guys have in the people around you. Yep. And that, sure. that in and of itself is such a huge lesson coming out of this. Like, I think for anybody listening, you know, there's going to be some guys who are thinking, man, We've got a big program. We've got a lot of tech. We should try to pull something off like this. And maybe they do. But for most people who are never going to get to that point, I think the takeaway has got to be just how you guys have built a team that trusts each other so well and serves each other so well. Every time we've asked anything about it in the in the week since this event, your first response is, oh, man, you should you should have seen the team. We're so proud of the team. We couldn't have done it without the team. All these volunteers, they're amazing. It's like over and over and over again, it keeps coming back to that. And I think there's so much that we can all learn from that mindset. Um, it's, I just, I can't be more proud of what you guys are doing. It's so great. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, so it's over. But, you know, right before we were on the air today, I was asking you guys, like, if you gotten a chance to chill out yet? And with an event like this, it's not like, when the plane lands, it's over. The plane still has to be unloaded, and there's a bunch of stuff that has to be done after. So, And Sunday's coming. And Sunday's coming. Yep. Oh, yeah, which, by the way, 
you still had to pull off your normal Sunday experience on the final day of UTEX. Yeah. So that that's where the that's where the truck came into play. So on Saturday night, when the playback sermon started, we we came off of air, so we were able to take that straight to the encoders. Um, a lot of people wondering how we we're doing that. We were doing all that with a Ross Master Control module. It switches video and embedded audio seamlessly together. So that's how we were going from show A to show B. Two different embedders being fed by two separate MEs on the switcher, being fed by two separate audio consoles, and we were. Uh, flip-flopping between those but when we did playbacks in the middle of the night we would route um, our video server straight to the master control module and take that so that the building was fully off or not the building but the gear that everyone was touching was off air and so when we came back live on sunday morning we had reconfigured and moved gear around and moved audio patches and moved video cameras and everything uthex related was 100 percent from the truck that was sitting outside. So all week, the truck just provided cameras and replay for us for one of the segments. And on Sunday morning, the truck fully did UthX so that what was show A could do online and what was show B could do the in-room experience here at Ballantine. As if by magic. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> okay, so now let's talk, talk about the follow-up and rest days. You guys have both been able to have at least a day off so far, but we, Jeff and I and the team, we've been talking a lot about rest and what it means for production teams. So what's both of your plans? Nicole, you have a vacation coming up, I hear. I do. Going back home to Texas, home state. Nice. So to be with family. And then, Zach, I know you've got some weekend getaways planned. You and Kim like to sneak off on weekends a lot. I see that. Yeah, that, that's pretty fun. And then we're going to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to head up to Raleigh where Kim's parents live and uh, take the weekend off and just disconnect. Um, for me, relaxing and decompressing is getting back. It's weird, but either I need to be out doing something or I actually want to be here in Ballantine figuring out something. I don't want to be figuring out something that's pressing. I like figuring out fun things that are going to help us. And I like doing things that Nicole would get mad at me for doing if there was something stressful going on. It's like, why are you putting priority in that right now? Can we actually do what needs to be done? I like doing those things that's going to, that are just like fun little projects. Um, yeah, so that, that helps me decompress. I don't like sitting at home. I, I don't know. Maybe if I went out of town, I could sit somewhere, but I, I just don't do sitting at home very well. Uh, you like rock climbing, though. That's I do like thing, rock right? climbing. Yep. And your whole family jumps in that with you. Yeah, they do. Um, the boys love it. Kim loves it. So sometimes, sometimes we go and do that as well. It's been quite some time since I've been on the side of a mountain, but it's probably about time to make that happen again as well. That's awesome. And Nicole, awesome. what do you do in your spare time? Um, well, I love my dog, so he gets most of my spare time. <laughs> Sorry, Nate. Um, uh. <laughs> no, um, I do like agility and stuff with him. So that takes up a lot of time, which I'm totally fine with. It's a good, it, kind of like what Zach's saying about you can't just like sit at home. It's a good thing where you can get your mind focused on something else that you don't even have the opportunity to think about other stuff. So. Well, um, since we are talking about rest so much, uh, Jeff actually has a little surprise for both of you guys. So the topic of self-care has come up a lot in recent podcast episodes as we've talked to Jay and some others about, you know, just how they're taking care of their teams and take care of themselves, taking care of their families. So to help celebrate what you guys are a part of and what you've pulled off and to just celebrate this idea of rest. Um, MXU is going to provide each of you um, a way to sort of make that a little easier. So, Zach, as you're heading into some weekends away with Kim, um, we're going to make sure that you get to do part of that on us. So you'll get a $500 Marriott gift card so that you and Kim can have a little getaway for yourselves. And Nicole, similarly, we want to help you with your trip to Texas and being around your family. So you're going to get a $500 gift card as well to help with your airfare and expenses to get home. So that's awesome. We're just so, Thank you. so proud so of what you guys have done and Thank the you. team that you're leading. And obviously, you know, you're, you guys wouldn't be pulling off what you do without such a great team, but that team needs great leaders and that's where you guys come in. So thank um, you. Yeah. Thank yeah, you so much. We, we love you guys and we're so proud of what you're doing. Thanks guys. That means a lot. That means a lot. Yeah, for sure. No, you guys are, you know, 
you know this already, but churches all over the world look at you guys for your technical feats and what you what you pull off in your services. But we want them to look at you guys for your leadership and and how you take rest seriously too. So partnering with you guys to actually have fun and enjoy yourselves and your family is just as important as a gazillion inputs and streaming for a gazillion hours. So yeah, appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Well, guys, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the rest of the day look like? You guys got rehearsals today? For the weekend, right back in it. It's weird <laughs> that I I still have to actually look and see what day of the week it is. It still hasn't come back because last week we it, last week felt like a tour. Um, yeah. It didn't matter what day it was. It yeah, was just right. session 17, yep. session what, 35. Yep. That's yep. exactly it. That's awesome. Well, uh, this is both of your second time on the podcast, so... I think there'll be a third. Well, this is my third. Oh, that's true. True. Yeah. Jacksonville. True, true. Jacksonville. Oh, that's right. That was a good one. All right. Well, Nicole's <laughs> oh, going to have to do one by herself. Then. That being said, I am wearing Lululemon shorts right now. Hey, so am I. Nice. And I've got the shirt. Perfect. <laughs> we got to get Coco some Lulu now, I guess. Perfect. How is it that all the guys are wearing Lulu right now and the girl on the podcast? Isn't? I wasn't going to say it, but I had the same thought. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a good note. Good note to end on. We'll yeah, catch up with thank you guys, you guys. Later. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Wow. That was unbelievable. I am 100% sure that I could never pull that off. Like, no, I, don't I don't even don't. know how you think that way. No, I don't know how you survive. And they did it. I think at one point, Zach was awake for 50 hours, and we texted him, please drink water, don't die. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, kind of like we said in the interview, like most of you, in fact, 99% of churches are never going to even have the thought of pulling off something like that. But that's not the point. No. Don't get caught up in the thousand inputs and the routing and the you know, a billion IFBs and all that stuff. Honestly, it's the way their team synergized around this opportunity and how they trust each other and build into each other. That's the takeaway for me. Yeah, totally. And don't DM Zach asking him technical questions about what kind of gear they used. And then definitely don't answer questions for him and what Elevation does on forums. That happens all the time. And it's it so happens to everybody. Isn't that funny that people are like, what are these two microphones on the snare top? And then somebody says, oh, it's this. And then Corey responds, actually, I put that mic there. It's this. Like, that's just so freaking annoying. Yeah. yeah, you're just wrong. All right, folks, go get your tour tickets and go check out MXU Now subscription video content. Stuff's being added all the time. This week we added uh, content from Brad Maddox and Chris Stevens and Corey Edwards content coming next week. Uh, Chris dives yep. into how he does manual delay compensation on his SSL console with Jason Aldean. So go check it out. Awesome. All right. Well, as always, it's a great pleasure. We'll see you next time. What Maybe we'll get Jay for next time. I think so, but I'm on vacation next week, so it'll just be you and Jay. Oh, man. I quit. All right. See you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>